Amen. If you have your Bibles tonight, and you would, find the 26th and 27th chapter of the book of Matthew. And I believe for probably the first time in 11 years of preaching, uh, I don't have a title for tonight. And the reason is, I, as I prayed and uh, just thought and considered, I, I just really can't wrap my head around all that is going to go on tonight in the sermon. And you say, well, Jake, I've listened to enough of your sermons. I think that's usually the case. But uh, uh, it is just overwhelming when we come to chapter 46. And uh, we finish up chapter 46 by looking at the not denial of Christ by Peter, someone who was closer to him probably than any other earthly person. We look in chapter 27, verses 1 and 2, that the chief priests and the elders, the group of people that should have known who he was and understood the Scriptures better than anyone are leading him to his death. And then in verses 3 through 10, we see Judas comes to the realization that what he has done and the remorse but not the repentance from it takes his own life. And what we see here are all of these people who had interacted with Jesus, who had encountered the miracles of Jesus, who should have known Jesus, but yet come to broken places in their life. And if you have served God for any length of time in your life, you have probably maybe felt that way. Lord, man, I, I, I've, I've failed you, I've struggled, I've had problems, and we can find ourselves very discouraged, very beat down. But when I see these situations, we see that our failures don't have to be final. We see here that our failures sometimes affect others. We see sometimes that our failures bring us to ruin. And tonight when I preach this, the reason I have struggled so much with it is it has been my wonderful privilege to, to baptize uh, over 200 people, uh, to preach right at 200 funerals, uh, to do very few weddings, and... Um, uh, but to shepherd hundreds of people over the years and to sit back and think of all the people that I have had the privilege of talking to and praying with and, and to think some of them have been close to what Jesus was doing. Some of them have been in the same area that Jesus has been working. And yet some of them will reject Him. Some of them have rejected Him in life through obedience and the heartbreak that's caused. Some of them have rejected Jesus even to the point when they left this world. And I think about the heartbreak that that caused. I think about so many times when a mom and dad who are supposed to love Jesus and follow Jesus and care about the things of God, don't when their kids are a little. And now I've pastored here long enough that some of the little kids have become big kids and the big kids want nothing to do with church. They want nothing to do with God. And then the parents will come in and say, I just don't know what went wrong. And everything in me wants to say, you treated God like He didn't matter. And now they've lived that way. 
and there's nothing I know to say. And it breaks my heart. You say, Jake, this is starting out very depressing tonight. No, it is not depressing meant to be, but I hope that you will hear the warning tonight that none of us is immune. None of us is too good to fail. None of us is too righteous to not need the grace and mercy of God. What we see tonight is a failure of overconfident people. Overconfident in their own abilities, their own wisdom, their own desires. And when the wisdom of this world becomes what drives you, the blessing and favor of God is gone. And as a church, that should terrify us. If we ever get to a point where everything we are doing is based on our wisdom and our ability and our knowledge because we've lost the favor of God. And when you lose the favor of God, there's nothing you can do to produce the work of God. Oh, you can fill up a crowd and you can have loud music and you can have catchy sermons, but life change doesn't happen unless the power and presence of God is at work. People are not saved unless the power and presence of God is at work. Those people that can't forgive and those people that are bitter and those people that are angry at God, that doesn't change unless the power and presence of God is at work. And so if we want to see God do things that absolutely cannot be explained and that God gets all the credit and that lasting change happens, we have to put ourselves in a place where we say, God, I don't want to miss you. God, I don't want to deny you. God, I don't want to overlook you. Lord, I want you to meet me right where I'm at and make a difference in who I am. And so tonight I hope that you will look at that with me tonight. But in 1 Peter chapter 4, I want to read two verses to you that Peter writes later in his life after he has denied Christ, after he has hit rock bottom. And in 1 Peter chapter 4, in verses 1 and 2, if you would stand with me out of a reverence to the reading of God's Word, if you are able. In 1 Peter chapter 4, starting in verse 1, the Bible says, Therefore, since Christ suffered for us in the flesh, arm yourselves also with the same mind. Don't miss that, the same mind. For he who suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin, that he no longer should live the rest of his time in the flesh for the lust of men, but for the will of God. Pray with me. Father, thank You for Your Word. Thank You for being You. Lord, thank You for loving us. And Lord, tonight I pray that You would work and You would move, that You would change hearts and lives. Lord, there is nothing I can do that will produce any value at all. But Lord, You can do anything. And so I ask that You would do it for Your glory tonight. And I ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Do you ever think that when Peter writes this about arm yourself also with the same mind... If you ever think he's thinking back to when he denied Christ and when he wasn't of sound mind, when he hadn't been praying to resist temptation like Jesus had told him in the garden. And we see this that I'm probably thinking he's looking back and thinking, you got to have your mind right. You have to have every thought captive. You have to never let your guard down because when you do, 
anything can happen. And when we see this, we think about Peter and we think about him in the garden. And tonight I really hope that you will be thinking about that in your own life. Have you begun to coast in your walk with God? Have you begun to think that you have moved past certain sins, certain circumstances? That couldn't happen to me. That couldn't happen to us. That couldn't happen in our home. Because friends, tonight I want to show you that just when you think you can, if it's not Jesus doing it, anything can happen. And so if you're taking notes tonight, the first one I want to show you is the one who denies Christ. The one who denies Christ. Here in Matthew chapter 26, one of the most familiar stories in the New Testament. Now Peter sat outside in the courtyard, and a servant girl came to him saying, You also were with Jesus of Galilee. But he denied it before them all, saying, I do not know what you were saying. And when he had gone out to the gateway, another girl saw him and said to those who were there, This fellow was also with Jesus of Nazareth. But again he denied with an oath, I do not know the man. And a little later those who stood by came up and said to Peter, Surely you also are one of them, for your speech betrays you. Then he began to curse and swear, saying, I do not know the man. Immediately a rooster crowed, and Peter remembered the words of Jesus, who had said to him, Before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. So he went out and wept bitterly. There are a couple things I want to show you that you might not be aware of. As you are reading this story, you need to understand that the denial of Jesus is occurring at the same time that Jesus is standing trial. While they are beating the Lord and spitting on Him and mocking Him from one in the morning to three in the morning, in that two-hour window, this is going on at the same time. And so while Jesus is preaching the truth to these wicked men, which is going to cost His life, Peter is just in the courtyard lying about the truth so he can save his life. If you've ever seen what this facility would have looked like, it would have been a giant box built around an open courtyard. That's why you could be in the high priest's home and in his father-in-law's home. It would have been a complex. And so here is Peter denying the Lord. And what we know is that while this is Friday morning, just a few hours before, Jesus had warned Peter two times, this is coming. This is going to happen. In Luke chapter 22, starting in verse 31, as they were finishing up the Lord's Supper, they were arguing about who was going to be the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. And the Lord said in verse 31, Simon, Simon. As one preacher said, anytime someone uses your name twice, you are in trouble. Alright? Simon, Simon. Indeed, Satan has asked for you that he may sift you as wheat. But I have prayed for you that your faith should not fail. And when you have returned to me, strengthen your brethren. But he said to him, Lord, I am ready to go with you, both to prison and to death. Then he said, I tell you, Peter, the rooster shall not crow this day before you will deny three times that you know me. Now, if you've ever read your Bible, you might think this is very familiar to a story in the book of 
Job. Where God says, have you considered my servant Job? And what we know about Job, and what he lost and what he went through, his faith never failed. And while Peter did deny the Lord, we know that his faith did not fail. And that is why I believe in the security of the believer. When God truly saves you and puts you in the palm of His hand and gives you the faith that you need to be born again and to be saved, that you can never lose it because faith never fails. When God gives you what you need, it never runs dry. You might bobble the ball, you might stumble, you might struggle, you might deny, but just like Job, faith didn't fail. Just like Peter, faith didn't fail. And for you tonight, if you are doubting God or going through difficult situations or feel like you cannot make it, remember this one simple thing. If you are a child of God and you are saved by grace through faith, your faith will not fail. It might seem like it is a small glimmer. It might seem like it is just a small glimmer of a a fire, but when God gave it to you, He will never take it back. And so what we see here is that Peter is being told by the Lord that you're going to stumble, you're going to fall, but you're going to return. And when you return, you need to know that your failure won't define you because you're to strengthen your brethren. Now, if you've ever read that and you're like me, you probably thought, well, wouldn't it be that they need to strengthen him? He's the one that denied. He's the one that ran. He's the one that failed. But what we remember is that all of them ran. All of them failed. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And so what it gives me is a glimmer of hope Because I know that my sins and my failures and my struggles and my past do not have to define what God can do in my life today or tomorrow. It doesn't have to limit how God can use me to help other people and care for other people and be there for other people. Why? Because when you have returned to me, strengthen your brother. You would say, well, one warning is enough. Well, as they get up and they leave the Lord's Supper and they are walking to uh, the Garden of Gethsemane where the Lord prays, He again warns Peter. In Mark chapter 14, starting in verse 26, And when they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. Then Jesus said to them, All of you will be made to stumble because of Me this night. For it is written, I will strike the shepherd, and the sheep will scatter. But after I have been raised, I will go before you to Galilee. He's saying, you're going to be struck, you're going to be scattered, but I'm going to go to a place and wait for you there. Because I know that even though you're going to fail, even though you're going to fall short, even though you're going to stumble, you are coming home. And that gives me great hope because what does the Bible said? He did not die for the righteous, but the unrighteous. He knew me, yet loves me. He knew me, and yet died for me. And so it gives us this idea that the grace and mercy of God, the care that He has for the lost, for His children, for us when we fail Him, is long-suffering. 
gives me great hope when I think about my own life and my own failures. But listen to what Peter said. Peter said to him, Even if all are made to stumble, yet I will not be. Jesus said to him, Assuredly, I say to you that today, even this night, before the rooster crows twice, you will deny me three times. But he spoke more vehemently. If I have to die with you, I will not deny you. And they all said likewise. What I get a kick out of is Peter's already said, Lord, you have the words of life. Where could we go but to you? You, you are the Son of God. But yet when Jesus says you're going to fail, he's like, no, I think you got that one wrong. I believe everything else you say. I believe that you can heal the sick and, and give sight to the blind. And I've walked on water with you, Lord. And I know that you have the words to eternal life. But when you call me out on my sin, you're wrong. You don't know what you're talking about. And most of us look at that like, I can't believe that. But we all do it. We can all be that way when the Spirit of God begins to convict us of a sin. When we go to a sermon or a Sunday school lesson and we know exactly what it's being taught and then it's exactly applying to me and what I'm like is, no, I don't think he's talking to me. I think he's talking to her. I think he's talking to them. He couldn't be talking to me. But what we see is that Peter's self-righteousness, Peter's de desire to elevate himself, put him in a dangerous position. And tonight I hope that you don't stumble and fail in your marriage. I hope that you don't stumble and fail in your finances. I hope that you don't stumble and fail with your temper or your tongue or all those things. But know this, you or I are all going to stumble. We're all going to fail. But what we need to remember is that we need the grace of God. We need to know that He already knew our sin and our struggles. He already knew where we were going to fail and how we were going to fail, but yet loved us anyway. Now before I move on, because some people are going to hear that and say, well, I might as well do what I want. I might as well live how I want, do what I want, because God already knew it anyway. That is not what it's talking about. And friends, tonight if you are here and living a holy and righteous life for the glory of Jesus does not matter to you, the Spirit of God is not in you. Because when God saves you, and even though you struggle with sin, even though you fall into sin, there is never a time when the Holy Spirit says, you know what, sin is wrong, but you're the exception to the rule. He is making you more and more like Jesus. So whether your sin is fear or doubt or unforgiveness or lust or pride, and you can look at yourself and say, God's okay with it. He is not. God wants you to give that to Him. God wants you to ask for forgiveness. God wants you to allow Him to work in your life and to make you into who He wants you to be. Second thing I want to show you tonight from this passage of Scripture is those who delivered Jesus to death. And after I titled that, I really started to think about it. It probably should have been those who drove Jesus away. Because that's how it works in our life. When we begin to deny God and to deny the things of God, we begin to push away. We begin to pull back from church. We begin to pull back from the reading of God's Word. We begin to pull back from small groups. 
We, we begin to push back from Wednesday night Bible study. We begin to push back from anywhere where the truth might affect me. Because why? I've denied it. I'm not willing to deal with it. And that's what happens in this passage of Scripture in verses 1 through 2. When morning came, all the chief priests and the elders of the people plotted against Jesus to put Him to death. And when they bound Him, they led Him away and delivered Him to Pontius Pilate, the governor. You say, wait a second, why have you already moved on from Peter denying the Lord? Why didn't we spend more time there? And this is why, because I think most of us read that and it makes us feel better about ourselves. Well, if Peter could do that, if, if Peter could feel that way, if Peter could make that exception, then I don't feel so bad about myself. I want you to notice something as these men begin to send Jesus to His death. They had done the same thing that Peter did. If you remember when the high priest began to tear his clothes, he began to curse. And that was not mean that he was dropping F-bombs, all right? What that meant was, is that he was telling God, if I have lied, or if I have judged in any way inappropriately, Lord, I am bringing the judgment of God on myself. Strike me down, Lord, if I have lied. Strike me down, Lord, if I have done anything wrong. And what Peter ends up doing by swearing and cursing is, he begins to say, if I knew Jesus, God punish me. If I was really with Him, God will bring down His wrath and destroy me. Now, I don't know if you know this or not, because we get really upset with the chief priests and the Pharisees who sent Him to His death. But Peter knew better than anyone that God was real. He knew better than anyone that the power of God was real. He had literally stepped out of a boat and walked on water. He had been right there when the multitudes were fed with just a few fish and a few loaves of bread twice. He would have been there when the demon-possessed man, when the, when the demons came out and possessed the pigs. He would have been there when the blind received their sight. He would have been there when the woman with the flow of blood was made well. He would have watched all this and known that the power of God was real. And yet here He is calling down the power of God on His life, not to bless Him, but to destroy Him. Friends, I want you to hear this tonight, that none of us are too big to run from God. None of us are too holy to find ourselves in a situation where we are more worried about instant salvation than we are eternal damnation. You say, not me, Jake. I would never get in such a bad situation that I would be able to call down the judgment of God on my life. You would. I don't know what that situation is for you. Maybe it'll never happen to you. But what I want you to see is, even though the chief priest and the elders sent Jesus to His death, Peter was willing to allow God to pour out the judgment of heaven on Himself rather than to be associated with Jesus. Why was that? 
Peter had watched them beating up on Jesus. Peter had watched them spit on Jesus. Peter had watched them mock him because this is all going on at the same time. But what flusters me the most is this. At the end of the garden scene, Peter has a sword in his hand, cutting off a man's ear. And just an hour or two later, is lying to a little girl, calling down the judgment of God on his life. And the question is, why do you think that happened? One, like most of us, when we see an enemy coming, we know to prepare. It's like for most of us, we can watch what's going on in our state and be like, this is wrong. This is terrible. I can't believe they're doing this stupid stuff. But what usually gets you is the stuff that you don't know that's coming. And what Peter saw when they brought maybe up to a hundred people to arrest Jesus was there's my enemy. I can fight my enemy. What happened in this situation is he didn't see it coming. That little girl wasn't threatening. He was sitting around the fire, staying warm, going down an alley of darkness. And friends, you need to know something. The areas that you are most vulnerable to fail, the areas as a church that we are most vulnerable to stumble are not the ones that we think we see coming. It's the ones that we don't. It's the moments that we don't think anything wrong could happen. It's the moment that we think everything is innocent. It's the moment that we're just kidding, that we're just joking, that we're just laying low and and just hanging it easy. It's in those moments where we are in danger of the greatest fall. It's like, what could happen at church? We're here to worship God. You ever sit through a business meeting? Well, that shouldn't happen there. We're spirit-filled, Bible-believing people. But yet you've all been Christians long enough to say, business meetings. How about search committees? Ever served on a search committee? You're saying, no, thank the Lord. Or served on any committee. Those are places where we're supposed to be unified and on the same page and in the same direction, but yet tears itself apart. How about your family? The one place things are supposed to be the safest. The one place where people are supposed to love you the most care about you more than anywhere. That's where you can let your hair down. That's where you can really be at ease. That's where you can really enjoy yourself. But yet, if you know anything about a family gathering, it can go from great to awful with one statement, with one action. I have a really bad tendency to joke about everything. And I have raised my daughters to joke about everything. And I was at the school this week and the sixth grade teacher said, do you realize how vicious your kid is about you when you're not here? I was like, well, what do you mean? She said, we were talking about Santa being fat. And she said, well, he's not near as fat as my dad. I said, that's my girl. That's how we've raised her. And then she said something like, man, that guy on our commercial was bald. And she's like, yeah, but it's not as shiny as my dad unless he has his hair powder. I'm like, that's my girl. I think it's hilarious. I think it's great. But oh, pastor, don't you know there are people that are bigger than you? It's not my problem. I didn't feed them. 
See what I mean? Some of you are going, that's funny, but I shouldn't laugh. Pastor, don't you know? You know not everybody's got as much hair as you do. We can wig shop together. You see? And those are meant to be comical. They're just meant to be lighthearted, but sometimes they're not. And so I can do that at family gatherings. I can do that at church. But friends, I want you to see this tonight. When you and I think we are the most safe is when Satan is on the prowl. When we think we have finally arrived spiritually, that's when Satan is on the prowl. When we think everything is great at church, nothing could go wrong, nothing could happen, Satan is waiting at the door. Like Peter said, you have to arm yourselves with the same mind that Jesus had. Always focused, always on point, always looking for our enemy because he is seeking whom he may devour. Third and final thing tonight. Had to throw a little bit of humor in there and if I offended you, I'm sorry. Not a lot, but a little, okay? Verses 3 through 10. We've seen the one who denies Christ, those who drive him away, and third and finally, the one who destroyed his own life. I think when I read about Judas Iscariot, it brings me more great heartbreak than almost anything in the Bible. When I think about Judas, I think about Samson, a man who had been given everything, but because he could not just control himself, told her about his hair. And when I read that story about Samson between the two pillars and his eyes have been plucked out, he's being mocked and humiliated in front of all of the Philistines that the greatest thing he can do in his life is ask for God to give him strength just to destroy them and himself. I think that's not the fate I want. I don't want my last great act to be something that has to redeem me from all of the terrible moments of my life. I don't want to have to lay on my deathbed and explain to my children, I am so sorry for not being a father. I don't want to have to lay on my deathbed someday and say, Tony, I am so sorry for not being a husband. I don't want that last moment of my life to have to redeem a lifetime of failure. And tonight what I want to encourage you with this is, if God has still got you here, you don't have to fall on your sword to redeem your failures. Tonight, if God has shown you your sins and your mistakes and your failures, He wants to forgive you. He wants you to repent. He doesn't want you to allow your past to destroy you. In verses 3-10 through 10 it says, Then Judas, his betrayer, seeing that he had been condemned, was remorseful and brought back the thirty pieces of silver to the chief priest and the elders, saying, I have sinned by betraying innocent blood. And they said, What is that to us? You see to it. Then he threw down the thirty pieces of silver in the temple and departed, and went and hanged himself. But the chief priest took the thirty pieces and said, It is not lawful to put them in the treasury, because they are the price of blood. It didn't matter that they had an unlawful trial. It didn't matter they had an unlawful conviction. But now when there was a little money with some blood on it, that was unlawful. That's where they drew the line. 
Convicting an innocent man can't do that. Lying and destroying a man can't, can't do that's not. But taking some money back, that's where we draw the line. And they consulted together, took them a group to figure out what to do with it. And bought with them the potter's field to bury strangers in. Therefore the field has been called the field of blood to this day. Then was fulfilled what was spoken by Jeremiah the prophet, saying, And they took the thirty pieces of silver, that value of him who was priced, whom they of the children of Israel priced, and gave them for the potter's field, as the Lord directed me. Jeremiah said, This is how much he'll be sold for. This is what's going to happen after he's sold. And this is what those wicked people are going to buy with that money. Zechariah in chapter 11, but for the sake of time I won't read it, talks about the same thing in verses 12 through 13. But when I think about Judas, I think back to Ahithophel. And you're like, man, this all ties together. It might be that God's trying to get our attention. Because after Ahithophel rebels against David, and he gives this great advice, take the men, kill David, don't hurt anybody else. And Absalom says, no. I think we'll go with the other guy who was great buddies with my dad. Ahithophel went home, got his home in order, and killed himself. Why was that? Because he thought his mistake could not be repaired. He thought his rebellion, he thought his unfaithfulness to David had to define who he was. Judas the same way, not being repentant of his sin, but remorseful. And tonight I say this with every bit of love I can possibly say. If you are not willing to let God forgive you, your guilt will destroy you. I'm going to say that one more time. If you do not let God forgive you of your past sins and mistakes, your guilt will destroy you. It will destroy you in a couple ways. One, it will never allow you to see yourself as God sees you. You will always see yourself as the failure that you think you are. If you do not let God forgive you of your guilt, it will destroy your marriage. Because it will never let you love or be loved by the person you have hurt or has hurt you. If you do not let God forgive you of your sins, your guilt will destroy your family. Because how can you be the parent God wants you to be with all the mistakes that you've made? If you cannot let God forgive you of your guilt and your sin, you will destroy the church that you're a part of. Because God cannot bless anywhere where you're at. And whatever is important to you in your life, you can add that sentence. If I do not ask for forgiveness and let God forgive me, my guilt will destroy whatever it is. And so tonight, even though this sermon has been very hard, it's been very discouraging in what has gone on, it is probably the greatest warning, the greatest encouragement that I have ever read because I am not gone yet God is not done with me. You are still sitting here tonight. God is not done 
with you. And you can say that as an individual. You can say that as a couple. You can say that as a parent. And you can say that as a church. Because what I know is this. There are a whole lot of people who would love to have one more chance. You say, well, Jake, what do you mean by that? Do you ever remember the story of a rich man who had everything on earth? and a poor beggar that was covered in sores. Both of those men died. One, the poor man, went to Abraham's bosom, and the rich man went to hell. And if you remember what the Bible says, he looked and saw the rich man, or the poor man at Abraham's bosom, and said, hey, do you care to send someone to my home to warn my five brothers not to come to this place? He was living a life and an eternity of regret. And friends, hell is going to be a terrible place. I can't even comprehend it. And the thought of my loved ones going there, honestly, it makes me sick. Not only will it be a place of eternal fire, which the Bible says it will, it will be a place of eternal separation from God. It will be a place of eternal punishment. It will be all the things the Bible says where the worm never dies, where the fire is never quenched, where the thirst is never met, but it will be an eternity of regret. And I believe the number one thing that it will be a regret from was when you and I, if we are lost, had the opportunity to repent and didn't. I was there on December 11th of 2022. Ten Mile Baptist Church. And I heard that guy that looked like he was going to pop a button on his shirt preaching about my sin does not have to define me. And that there's a God who loved me so much that He sent His only begotten Son to die on a cross for me. Even though He knew me, knew everything about me, but yet loved me so much to hang on a cross and take my punishment. And not only did He die, but He arose from the grave and said, if I would repent and call upon Him and believe in Him, that I would be saved. And I could have an eternity in heaven. No more sickness, no more pain, no more death. Everything that the presence of God brings, I could have had that. But I didn't. You say, Jake, what do you mean by that? Have you ever read the 20th chapter of Revelation, the great white throne judgment? And they are going to stand there and hear those words, Depart from me, I never knew you. And will be cast into the second death, the lake of fire. Friends, there is coming a day when it will be too late. But if you are here tonight, that is not today for you. And so whatever guilt that you're feeling as a Christian, you don't have to take it with you tonight. Whatever shame and guilt that you're feeling because you know that you're not saved doesn't have to live, leave here with you tonight. Whatever has happened in your past, in your marriage, in your life that you just can't let God wipe clean, tonight you don't have to leave here with it. He can do it all. But friends, I promise you this. If you leave here tonight and never let God deal with it, the people in this story will be you. You say, not me. It'll be you. It might not be tomorrow. 
It might not be the next day, but it might be five years from now. Or it might be when you take your last breath and wake up and realize that I never really knew him. But tonight, everything can change if you'll just give it to Jesus. Father, we thank you so much for your word. Lord, I pray tonight that I have preached your word faithfully, honestly, truthfully, accurately tonight. Lord, I pray right now that your Holy Spirit is working in each and every one of us, every couple, every individual, every family, that tonight, Lord, is a life-changing night. Lord, that tonight is the night that we finally let the shame and the shackles and the guilt down. Tonight, husbands and wives, parents, commit. Lord, we're going to let you make us brand new. And we're going to live in that victory and in that freedom. Tonight, Lord, I pray, I beg, Lord, if there's anyone in this place tonight, Lord, that your Holy Spirit would convict, draw, soften the heart, Lord. Bring them to that place where they know they need you. And Lord, give them the wisdom to respond tonight, the humility to call upon you and be saved. And Lord, I'll give you all the praise and all the honor and all the glory. And I ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.